So it's a real pleasure to have Anna Norman Walker with us this afternoon. Hi, Anna. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Um, it's a pleasure. Uh, from reading the internet, I know that Anna uh, is the diocesan missioner in Exeter Diocese. Uh, I know from talking just now that she's had an extensive involvement in pioneering everything from youth congregations to rural to cathedrals, uh, both doing things herself and also supporting others in missions. So I'm really looking forward to this afternoon. I think we're going to hear some really good lessons and stories and ideas. Um, so, Anna, can I pray for you? And then over to you. Father, thanks for bringing Anna to us, and uh, we pray that you would bless her and encourage her as she shares with us. And Lord, we pray that you would challenge us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Andy. I feel like I need to stand, uh, although it would have been fine to sit down. So I'll see how I go. Um, if we become conversational, I'll, I'll sit. Yeah, thank you for the introduction. My name's Anna. I feel completely underqualified to talk to you uh, today, but um, it's lovely to have been invited. My job uh, during the day is to be the diocesan missioner, so a little bit of introduction, uh, in Exeter Diocese. And this is the most fantastic job description anybody could ask for if you've got a mission-shaped heart. Stimulating, encouraging and heartening deaneries, parishes and mission communities in the diocese in the task of mission and evangelism. Advising, assisting, resourcing and enabling them in making mission part of the lifeblood of their work work. And apart from a few subheadings, that's my job description. Uh, and so I've really just been released upon the Diocese of Exeter uh, to be a helpful resource wherever uh, I can be. Uh, hence the cooking pot, because we are a deeply rural uh, community, uh, county. We do have our urban centres in Exeter, in Plymouth, and particularly in and around Torbay. Uh, and there's a little kind of urban-y blip somewhere in the middle of Barnstable, but not really. If you've ever been to Barnstable, it's really quite, uh, really quite cosy. Uh, I, think, I think they've got a couple of housing estates. No, it's a, so Barnstable as well. But we, are, uh, we do have huge areas of rural ministry. And uh, rural ministry and change and mission um, are quite often uh, at a real tension with one another. And uh, I'm seeing some really encouraging signs around the diocese in these days. Um, I'm also often finding myself driving back from a parish visit uh, late-ish at night, feeling profoundly depressed uh, and feeling that you, probably the best we can offer that particular context is hospice care. Uh, and uh, I, I am of the conviction that we, even within the church there is such a thing as a good death. Uh, and uh, for some, for some uh, churches, it is going to be about enabling them uh, in their current uh, form to just gently pass away. But then the question's asked about, well, what else is going to happen in this place that might spring up and bring new life? And that's where the Fresh Expressions agenda, I guess, for me, is fairly important. Um, the diocese at the moment is going through real change, which is quite interesting. I thought I'd share a little bit with you um, about that. We've got uh, 613 churches uh, in the diocese. And as part of a, a policy decided upon through our structures, synod and the like, uh, we've committed to becoming 150 mission communities. So to dissolve the parish structure uh, in its legal form ultimately is the vision, which is quite a brave thought plan. 
whether we'll achieve it or not, is, I guess that's uh, God's business. But the vision is to go to 150 mission communities. And a mission community is um, a group of churches that have decided that together, for the sake of mission, they want to work together to partner. Now, there's obviously some practical implications. It's about being able to do things uh, better together. Where numbers are small, we're better united. Uh, and that the vision is that a mission community will have a mission action plan, which I'm sure you're all kind of familiar with, and that that will set some very clear missional objectives, which together these churches will work towards achieving. Uh, and they're accountable to that document. Uh, and then in 2000, that's been running since 2004, the vision is that we'll be in all those mission communities somewhere towards the end of uh, 2015. Uh, and we're on target. Certainly Exeter Archdeaconry, one quarter of the diocese is done. We're all in mission communities. Uh, others are coming along slowly. Plymouth is a little bit slower on the uptake uh, for all sorts of peculiar, peculiar reasons. Uh, 2008, we've committed to growing the church numerically, and there's a whole conversation that can be had around that. Um, I guess the feeling behind it is that healthy churches are growing churches, and therefore um, it's a good way of holding mission communities accountable for their partnering, but actually thinking about uh, their evangelistic endeavor and their efforts to grow. And this is really what my day job involves a lot at the moment. So uh, in a mission action plan, every mission community is um, encouraged to express the whole life of the people of God. That will be worship, discipleship, and mission, outreach. Uh, every mission community will bring forth vocations, so people discerning the gifts that they have and uh, offering them to serve the life of the church and the mission of God. Uh, a strategy for evangelism and outreach, so we're not letting them off the hook. Where on your mission action plan is your strategy for outreach? Uh, in what way are you engaging in the community uh, in a missional sense? So where's the darkness and how are you going to uh, kick some holes in it and let the light shine through? Uh, and we've committed as a diocese to planting a 100 fresh expressions of church uh, which sounds like a very optimistic target. It wasn't one that I set. It was one I inherited. Um, and uh, we look at the annual returns that go up to the Church of England uh, as head office, statistics office every year, uh, where there's a little box you can tick that says, do you have a fresh expression of church? And the minister can tick the box. So I phone up the head office and say, how many fresh expressions of church have you got? And he said, we've got hundreds of them. Oh, really? So the paperwork came back, and one church claimed to have 80. I think it was that they had 80 people that attended a fresh expression of church, and they hadn't read the question. So uh, the, the statistics at the moment, we're still trying to discern what's uh, genuine, what's not. There's still a lot of um, a lack of clarity with a lot of our churches as to what constitutes a fresh expression of church. Uh, there's a lot of fresh expressions of worship going on, people doing worship in different and creative ways, which is lovely. Uh, and there's lots of um, fresh expressions of outreach in the sense that people are doing some lovely things in the community. Um, I went to visit uh, somebody who's got an extraordinary uh, community hub going on in his church premises uh, just before Christmas. Uh, two, three hundred people journeying through the building on a weekly basis to a whole range of brilliant community-orientated projects. And I made the fatal mistake of saying to him, and when do you talk to them about Jesus? Uh, to which he said, oh, good Lord, we don't do any of that. 
so you know, so we, we've, that, we, you know, we're learning. Exodasis, we have not got it sussed, but we are committed to it, and that's uh, uh, what my day job is. Um, I didn't just wake up one morning and having become the diocesan missioner, having thought one day I'll be a missioner. Um, my background um, is. Uh, it's a very human story, and I became the missioner. Uh, I didn't actually apply for the job. It applied for me, and I came to it quite reluctantly because my heart is really with being um, a practitioner. And so in lots of ways, I'm missing that. Um, I have a base at Exeter Cathedral, which is um, a very different place for me to be uh, both worshipping and serving when I'm not out in parishes uh, on, a, on Sundays and during the week. And uh, my task there is to try and help the cathedral uh, identify its missional potential, which from a place point of view and a plant point of view is phenomenal. Uh, and uh, we're on a bit of a journey, and I'm going to share a bit of a story uh, from Exeter Cathedral, which I think there's some real lessons to be learnt for all of us looking at pioneering new initiative kind of work um, a little bit later on. Tell you a little bit about my personal journey, uh, just so that you know who I am and what I'm about. My background is this. Um, yes, let's hear it for Middle Anglican High Church backgrounds. That's uh, where I was born and brought up. I sang in a choir and did all the, uh, the usual things, was confirmed at about the age of 13 or 14, and uh, went off to train as a nurse from school uh, and stopped going to church around that sort of time, 18 years old or so, uh, and didn't return to church uh, until I was in my mid-twenties. I'm a fairly classic story. I got married, got pregnant in that order, which was kind of handy, and uh, a friend of mine died uh, in the year that I was pregnant with our first child, and it was a classic case of the big questions of life and death just jumping up and uh, throwing the big questions. And it felt very natural for me, as it does for many church returners, to look to the faith, the church of my childhood, as a place where those answers might be found, or certainly a place where some, some comfort and some hope might be found. And I still believe that uh, many people come back into the life of the church via that route, those moments in our lives where the circumstances change, uh, and it, the question is pressed home. And it just happened by coincidence uh, that it was an evangelical church uh, that provided the welcome, really, for us, my husband and I, as we journeyed towards the church, mainly because it was the local church. It just happened to be an evangelical church. And uh, it was a pleasant surprise to go into a church that had a more contemporary feel than we remembered it and had more particularly a very clear and structured approach to uh, learning about the faith. There was a clear way in. And uh, so we glided in through the doors and got caught up in things like the... At the time, there wasn't the Alpha course, because I'm so ancient. It was whatever we did before we did Alpha. Um, but it was those kind of come and explore the faith type courses. And uh, we, we com made commitments. And then very quickly, and I'm sure this is part of uh, the reason why we've, we've ended up being involved in fairly um, f fresh initiative work, is we, my husband was in the army. And we were very swiftly posted out to Germany. Uh, and we were full of the joy of the Lord and uh, uh, full of enthusiastic new Christian sort of faith, or certainly rejuvenated faith, and so charged off to the garrison church and announced that we had arrived and that we were going to you know, do whatever we could to serve uh, God in this place and met a wall of resistance from the army chaplain who said, 
oh, I don't do that kind of thing. You know, lay people there, I'm here, and that's the deal. So we were very um, disappointed. Uh, slightly crushed. So then we thought, well, I tell you what, we'll just see if we can find some Christians and, and maybe have some, some fellowship and some learning with them. And so I said in here, first fresh expression of church, um, I was like a woman possessed, actually. I used to go past at the end of people's driveways, and if I saw a fish on the back of the car, I'd go and bang on the door and <laughs> say, are you Christians? And uh, I, I, not German houses, English houses, obviously my German's rubbish. Um, and I do remember doing it once. It does yield quite a good su- success, actually. But I banged on one door once, and the, this great big Sergeant Major type answered. I said, hello, I've seen the fish on the back of your car. Are you a Christian? He went, no, I've just bought the bloody thing. I can't get it off. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't always work. But anyway, we, we just hoovered up people. Um, we managed to find five or six other people who were believers uh, at different stages in their faith journey. Uh, and then we just started inviting our friends to come to our home, and we... We just did some very simple hospitality and we opened the Bible and we just read it and then we talked about it. We didn't even have Bibles. In fact, I had a life application Bible, yes. And that was the answers. The answers were in the life application Bible. So if we needed to look up the answers, we just looked in the book. Other than that, we just, we just read it. We just read it and talked about it. And we worked through all the gospel, the whole of the New Testament as a group. And the group grew and more people came and more people asked questions. Then around that time, um, Alpha went out onto the market in kind of video, I think it was, format in those days. Remember those fantastic VHS videos, yeah. Um, And so we ordered them and had them shipped over to Germany. We thought, this stuff's great. So it explains the faith so simply. I know, we always thought big. We'll hire the officers' mess and we'll invite everybody to go on the golf course. So we did. We hired the mess. We booked the, the chef. And uh, we had little fancy little invitation because army life, oh posh, you know, stiff little cards, the alpha dinner. We invited everybody from the brigadier all the way down uh, to new guys coming out of Santos. This was the whole officer culture, of course, which Nicky Gumbel speaks officer, so that worked. And uh, they came, they were so curious. And so suddenly, within less than a year of coming back to faith, we had 85 people in the officers' mess sitting down to dinner with Nicky Gumbel on the big screen. And they came back, and we, we had a, you know, a take-up of about 40. We were a bit disappointed, because we kind of hoped everybody would come. And we thought this was normal. We thought this was just how it was. And we saw people become Christians, uh, and we were constantly just catching up with ourselves. We didn't have a clue. None of us were trained or theologically articulate. All we knew was that we were in a relationship with Jesus, and this was changing our lives, and it was giving our lives a meaning and purpose and shape and we were here on this earth to, 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 to share his love with as many people as we possibly could. It was as simple as that. Uh, we were there for about two and a half years. We were part of starting Alpha for the Forces, actually, and that's now a proper structured event. But we were the first one. And I remember sitting at the kitchen table one, uh, one day thinking, there must be lots of churches in Germany, army churches. How many 10,000 people out here? I was exponentially thinking. Um, we need to get them all doing this Alpha thing. It's a really good idea. So I remember writing... It says, I'm a lay woman who doesn't even go to the garrison church because they weren't very nice to me, writing to all the army chaplains in Germany, (laughs) saying, "Um, we're going to host an Alpha conference. And we hired a a venue, and I stood up with my friend, who'd become a Christian on the first Alpha course, and explained um, what we were going to do. And the vision was that you can all do Alpha courses in your garrisons around Germany, and then we'll have a lovely big weekend away together. We'll try and get a speaker over from the UK. 
And uh, I stood there and said, you know, I've only run one, and it, we used the videos, and um, we're going to run another one. And uh, my friend got up to give the talk on how to pray for people in the power of the Spirit, which is very much part of the Alpha ethos. And uh, she said, I've never actually prayed for anybody in this way, but this is what we're going to do. Uh, and, and we just... We just stepped out, it, insane really, looking back. And I wouldn't have the confidence to do any of that now. I don't know what's happened to me, but that was back uh, in the late 1990s. And people came and we gathered at uh, Church House in, in Lübecca in Germany. And uh, I think a lot of people came because they thought we were just bonkers and what on earth was this all about? And, uh, but from that, Alpha for the Forces has been born, which, is, which was very exciting. So I guess my first point is that I've been fairly reckless, hence the mistakes which I'm going to share with you later on. Uh, we then were posted back three years later to Guildford, um, just outside Guildford, and we were there for five years, and uh, we found ourselves at sort of Saviour's Church in Guildford, which is a lovely big uh, city centre church, and we got involved, we, we were praying about how we might get involved in the life of the church beyond turning up on Sundays. We had small children at the time. And every week on the notice sheet was a request for help with the youth work. And we thought, well, we don't really do teenagers, but, well, why not? Let's give it a go. So we, 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 started, we offered our services as the couple. You know, how all youth groups have an older couple. We were the couple. And uh, we started going. And in those days, the youth group of the church was very much, keep our Christian kids Christian, please. So it was lots of people who, who uh, commuted in to a good church, uh, because it offered the things that they needed for their family. So there was a kind of slightly consumeristic thing going on there, but we all, you know, those of us who have children realise how important that is to us. Uh, and uh, what we saw happen during our time in Guildford was that being transformed from this very introspective, keeping our Christian kids Christian kind of a youth club with some Bible study, to uh, seeing these young people really turning out... Uh, in mission and reaching their friends uh, for Jesus and bringing them in and it, it resulted in over a period of, uh, well after we left actually, but it, we were part of that journey of planting it, uh, um, an initiative called Submerge which was a, a fresh expression of church for youth which met in parallel to uh, the main Sunday congregation led by young adults for young people uh, with, a, with a missional heart and uh, I was, I was involved in that journey. It was very, very exciting. I don't know what's happening to it these days. Then I went off to become a vicar, um, which came about very simply because the vicar of Guildford Church, who's a guy called David Bracewell, said to me one day, when are we going to put a dog collar around your neck, Anna? And uh, I sort of said, well, goodness me, why on earth did you say that? Or something along those lines, possibly a more spontaneous phrase. And uh, he said, well, you've been bossing me around for the last few years, so I thought you might as well go and boss a few other people around. So anyway, we, we pushed the door, the door opened, and uh, we journeyed up to my husband, who was in the army, resigned his commission, and uh, we moved to Nottingham, and I studied at St John's College in Nottingham for two years, and then picked up my first curacy, which was in Devon, which is what's brought us to Exeter Diocese. And my curacy was in the uh, sort of charismatic, evangelical uh, t town, market town, uh, of about, a, I don't know they call it a large church or a medium church, about 200. Top end of, of medium church becoming a large church. Again, with a real gathering 
um, ethos, you know, laid on a good show and people journeyed in to go to church. And I became increasingly uncomfortable with that model of growing church because it's really good at attracting Christians. Uh, and uh, it became, and I guess for me, I've got, you may have detected, I've got a real evangelist heart. You know, I long to see people come to faith. And there was always a tension at a church where people got in their cars and drove to church on Sundays when you stood up at the front and said, we're going to do this thing, whatever it might be, outreach in the community. We had an initiative during... Um, you know, there was a, a phase where Soul Survivor was encouraging uh, people to go out and do litter picking and gardening and working out on estates, helping the local community. And I remember standing there one Christmas, it was the 21st of December, we weren't having a carol service in the morning because we were having our carol service in the evenings, we weren't having a Sunday service in the morning. And I remember standing at the front as the curate and saying, because we're not having a service on Sunday in the morning, we're going to go out into the community and we're going to pick up all the litter on the estate and we're going to knock on people's doors and we're going to give them a box of mince pies or some chocolates and we're going to wish them a happy Christmas and uh, just give them a leaflet about the carol service and invite them, see if they want to come back. And I said, I'll stand at the back with my sign-ups, my sign-up sheet and... Uh, Three people signed up, 220 in church that morning, and three people signed up. Why? Because they were getting in their cars to go back to their villages where they lived, which actually was the place of community that if they had a heart for anywhere was there. It wasn't this town. This was just the vehicle we came to, the place we came to, to be resourced to live our Christian lives somewhere else. And again, that was a, a really important um, a stage for me of realising that although the parish model has its merits, it really only functions in that way if the people who worship there live there and are passionate about the place that God has put them and the people. And if you're developing a model um, that says we want to be incarnational, we really want to reach the people here, you need to be working with people who actually live there and care about it, not the people who are going to go away after they've sung their songs to Jesus and received their children's work and whatever else they've come to church for. So that was um, quite a, a significant period of me as I was trying to think and reflect and pray about, well, where for me, Lord, where next? Where do you want me to go to be, um, a, you know, my own vicar and all that kind of thing? So I made a decision at that point uh, to uh, step out of a church that had a defined churchmanship and a good reputation uh, and to go to one of these mission communities and help them to form up. And I went to the Culm Valley Mission Community, uh, which is situated about halfway between Exeter and Taunton. I took on four rural parishes uh, with uh, a churchmanship, non-specific kind of village, really. You know, if they've done it like that for the last 100 years, they'll carry on doing it like that, but probably don't know why. And I was there for four years. And during our time there, um, we saw some lovely growth. Um, we saw some uh, growth in conversion and growth in missional initiative. And I think it was a real joy to see churches that had existed for years and years and years um, just doing church because that's what we've always done here in this village, uh, actually engaging in, in mission, in, in, in action, evangelism, in word, and actually seeing the fruit of that 
by way of conversion, which was very exciting. I'll tell you a little bit about that uh, in a minute, because I'm going to go back and then go forward. Of course, during this whole time, the Mission Shaped Church report came out. And I just found myself reading it going, yeah, duh, tell me something I hadn't already worked out for myself. And of course, it was a report reflecting on church training, but it just made so much sense. The Mission Shaped Church report for me, uh, for all the criticism it's come under, and I have read for the parish, and I do feel that there's some good points being made in that particular book. I think it misunderstands Mission Shaped Church, actually, and there's a good bit of study. If anyone's looking for an interesting piece of work to do at college, uh, letting those two books have a conversation with each other, I think could be a really interesting piece of work. I think Graham Cray's probably already done it, but anyway. Um, But it was saying some really important things um, about new ways of being church, some of the frustrations we will always experience when trying to uh, do all our mission using the uh, inherent church model. And I had a a real sense that uh, I would like to engage in um, the whole fresh expressions of church uh, scene. So that was a a quick synopsis of me and what I've been about. Um, I called this learning from some spending mistakes because I think I got this invitation over having had a glass of wine with Johnny Baker at the National Missioners Conference a couple of years ago and uh, having a really good old moan at him with him about some of the... um, Uh, experiences that I'd had and uh, a particular issue that I was dealing with at the time that I wanted his wisdom on and uh, he said oh that's a good story you need to go and tell it to a few more people and then I got an email so thanks Johnny. Um, Going back to my time in Columpton that was at my curacy church I want to share a story with you um, about uh, a fresh expression of church that we stepped out uh, to establish called the Lantern and just share a few lessons learned from it because um, it flourished and died very quickly and uh, I thought it would be worth sharing that story with you as one of my um, case studies today. So the Lantern came out of, you've got it, the Alpha course. Uh, The church ran the Alpha course, I led it as the curate, that was part of my brief Uh, And at the end of Alpha, we had two of our four small groups who were predominantly people who hadn't had a connection with the church before and were saying, oh, we don't want Alpha to end. This is our church. It's Tuesday nights in the hall. This is where we feel we want to be. We don't really want to go. Some of them had had a go at Sunday morning. Uh, For some, it was just inconvenient. For others, they just didn't get it. Um, and so I went to, back to the church leadership team and said, um, I think this could have legs on it. I'm happy to run with it if you're happy to release my time. Um, we've got about 15 people coming off of Alpha who, um, with maybe three or four leaders who, you know, I think we could just nurture this and see what happens. And permission was given, which is always nice when permission is given, and uh, we, we carried on. So we named ourselves The Lantern. Uh, we said to the folks, if you want to carry on coming on a Tuesday night, we'd, we'll carry on uh, being here. Uh, we asked them the kind of things that they uh, had appreciated from Alpha and uh, what they wanted this continuation uh, to look like. And they said, well, we like the fact that we've been learning stuff about the faith. We really like conversation. We really like the discussion. 
you know, we, we, it's nice to have some input, but the bit we really enjoy is talking about it with one another, and of course that's the relationships, isn't it, that have been built up. Um, we like the food. It's nice to come out and have something to eat. Uh, we'd reduce that down not to a full meal, so we were doing fairly sort of uh, light snacks, but uh, it, it sort of developed into pudding and coffee, which was nice. Um, and we like the opportunity that you've given us from time to time to respond. And one of the things we've done on our Alpha course was to offer a prayer corner or, you know, light a candle or put a, you know, prayer thing out. Also, you know, little, little response things. They said they enjoyed that. Uh, so taking those four basic principles, we went on uh, to, uh, to begin meeting on Tuesday evenings. And uh, we passed a book around. We, we decided let's share the learning with everybody. I've believe passionately that uh, you don't have to have, sorry, this is a course that gives people qualifications, but I'm not convinced the qualifications are altogether, um, you know, necessary, actually. And we used to pass around a, a, a book, you know, I think we worked through some of the fairly light-touch stuff, like the John Ortberg, you know, if you want to get walk on the water, you've got to get out of the boat. Just passed it around and said, right, you lead the group through the next chapter two next week, and you lead the group through chapter three. And we just, and somebody would stand up and talk a bit about the chapter, what they'd learnt from the chapter, and then the floor was open for discussion, and then some of us would lead some, perhaps, some Bible reflection. And, and this is, for me, was, the, was, was a very critical mistake that we made. I was not comfortable, along with one or two of the other leaders, that there really wasn't much in the way of worship. We're not really worshipping. I'd come from a stable where worship was singing, uh, predominantly, and uh, there was no singing, there was no worship. This is what uh, my conviction was and the conviction of others. And so we thought, oh, it would be a really good idea if, if Dave, who was a member of our um, established congregation and a fabulous worship leader, would come and maybe lead us in some worship, because this is now becoming a church. And so Dave came and Dave strummed his guitar and he sang lovely songs about Jesus to us all. And we were so thrilled because the lantern started growing. Lots of people started coming. And before we knew it, um, lots of people were singing lots of songs at the beginning of the lantern. And then one day I realized that most of the 15 people who'd been part of it in its, in its origins had stopped coming. What had happened was what I call Christian hijack. What had happened was that lots of... Lots of our growth had come through people for whom Sunday morning wasn't madly convenient. Uh, they liked the idea of Tuesday night. They liked the idea of the food and the conversation relationship. And they really enjoyed singing because they come from that culture of Christian worship songs. And uh, really, we just ended up transporting a, a bunch of people out of Sunday morning into Tuesday night. And we'd imported a charismatic evangelical model of worship into the church hall on a Tuesday night uh, and the people who'd been there at the beginning drifted out the door. Now, I've subsequently followed people up and had conversations with them about what it was um, because, you know, I, I'm still wrestling with uh, what, why did, was it the singing that put you off? Was it the... And it was more of a culture thing. I mean, some of them would have maybe even been mindful to go out and buy a, a, a Christian CD... But actually, sitting around cafe-style tables singing choruses felt a bit weird. But it also felt that numerically, they were being taken over by people who lifted the bar in terms of the conversation. Suddenly, they didn't feel so... Um, uh, like, their point of view was as 
was as relevant or as worthy as other people's points of view because there were more professional Christians coming now and they know all the answers. And there was this subtle shift over a period of about eight months uh, where the base of um, the people who were actually steering the culture and shaping the culture uh, was moving from those people for whom this had been originally meant for into people for whom... Uh, this is just a, a cool new thing and, and we, we'd rather be a part of that than this um, and yeah we just made the decision really before God that the time had come uh, the other thing that happened which was quite interesting um, was that uh, church leadership this started to grow so we, so we went from 15 maybe 20, 25 in the first 8 or 9 months um, to suddenly we had 50, 60 in the hall on a Tuesday night and I had fresh expressions on the phone it wasn't Karen Carter in those days, but whoever it was saying, oh, this is great, we're doing a DVD for Fresh Expressions, we need to come down and get some footage, and this is a great success. And I, I'm thinking, oh, golly, no, but it's not a success, you don't understand, we've lost all the very people that we set this up for. So there was this whole internal turmoil going on inside myself and a number of the other leaders. Um, and we had the church leadership team from the established church starting to grumble because there were people being lost to the Sunday morning service, and they wanted to know questions, about, they were asking questions about, well, when are you going to start contributing to the common fund? <laughs> Financial questions. So we were dealing with a lot of kind of grumbling going on. And it felt more like um, a rogue split or a breakaway church than actually a mission-shaped initiative or a fresh expression of church that has been um, given birth to from the established church. So that was my experience in a charismatic evangelical church. Uh, and we decided... Um, to close it, to stop it, to withdraw um, the resources and the time because it was no longer um, serving the purpose for which it was set up in the first place and some lessons were learned. I'd love to, to, to know. I'd love to know. I mean, I do know that some of the, that, those 15 did form a small, another small group and started meeting in somebody's house um, and I think they still meet in a very small number, about half a dozen of them, and they've never connected with the life of the wider church. But, of course, I moved on and stopped being the curate, um, but uh, occasionally I hear news of them. But I just offer it to you because I think it's, uh, it's very tempting to ride the wave of success and to go for the easier option that looks successful um, and perhaps yields numeric results faster uh, by using a particular method than really committing to journeying with the people uh, who, for whom this is their model of church, their church. Uh, so then I went to um, rural parishes, uh, Willand, Ufcombe, Kentispear and Blackborough. Uh, Blackborough didn't have a church building, had been uh, taken down 12 years before. Uh, deep hurt and resentment in that village for that uh, thing having happened. So there was a lot of work to be done in the whole area of healing. Um, a very traditional, one very traditional um, rural church. Uh, when I took it over the keys, the church warden said to me, we've got others syndrome here, Anna, you need to know that. And I said, what is others syndrome? He said, others always done it like this and others always will. <laughs> and they were right. Anyway, they carry on as ever. Um, the, the, um, the village that really caught our imagination was uh, the village of Willand. It had a congregation, an indigenous congregation that met in Willand Old Church, 
um, of about 30 people. They were all uh, over 65, and the model of worship was the Book of Common Prayer. The thing that uh, struck us was that this village actually had nearly 4,000 people living in it, and it had a school of 280 children, so there was no good reason, and they hadn't had any children in this church since the mid-1990s. And uh, it seemed to me no good reason at all why this church didn't have a ministry uh, to reach young families. It felt utterly ludicrous. And it was because there was a real genuine and owned um, unwillingness to change what they did on a Sunday. That was what they did. So quite early on, I went to see the um, parochial church council and just said, look... um, You've got a school of 280 kids, um, you've got new housing developments, uh, there are young families here that we could have a, 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 you know, a ministry to, uh, but you're going to have to uh, release m- my time to, to invest in that. And they very graciously uh, allowed that and we negotiated that other people would take some services for them. And in lots of ways, um, is this where the question about what is a fresh expression of church, I guess? for me, uh, presses home, because was parish praise what, uh, what we established a fresh expression of church? Probably not in the pure sense of the word. It's certainly fresh compared to the indigenous model of church, very fresh. Um, but it was still on a Sunday morning, because when we talked to people, uh, it's what they wanted. Um, and the few that we, we connected with in terms of taking a lead... Um, we went off site, so this is just some of our, these were some of the values of it. Um, children and young families were our first priority. Uh, we wanted it to be something that was very accessible, seeker friendly, very much a light touch. Uh, we wanted it to be off site. The actual established church building was pretty unworkable, uh, and we wanted it to be in some safe community space. Uh, and there was a very good hall right in the middle of the housing estate that worked. It had kitchen, it had loose, it had, you know, breakout rooms. Uh, we wanted it to be very inclusive. We didn't want anybody to feel they weren't welcome. And we wanted it to be a place where people could make friends. Uh, and obviously, you know, inside of those of us who were, were stepping forward to lead it, we wanted this community to be missional, to be having an impact in the community. Uh, and so we started by planting a mother and toddler group or parent and toddler group. Well, I say mother anymore, uh, you know, under fives, uh, preschool, uh, on a Tuesday. So no view of, uh, no, we didn't start with worship, we started with toddlers. Uh, and uh, there wasn't one, uh, <laughs> amazingly. Uh, and, you know, we had huge numbers, 25 children on our books on the first week. And uh, we began to build relationship, we began to um, just, you know, get our faces seen around. And after about, I think it was eight months, almost coming on for a year, we decided to launch a service on a Sunday and see what happened. And uh, they came, and it was probably a little bit like the family service meets messy church. So there was some interaction in terms of model. We did have some singing, but we kept the whole thing very focused on children. I think for us, the big difference between other models of church that we'd seen was it was all age every week. There was none of this um, sending the children into another room. And the reason we did that was because a family came to us who had been to another church, and they, they'd, they'd had a baby, and, and they'd had this toddler, and they felt they wanted to respond to God. They didn't have a church background. And they said, um, we clearly weren't welcome unless we were prepared to put our children in Sunday school. Which I thought was really interesting, because having come from a churchy background... Um, I think it's great, go to a church and they get rid of your kids, you know, marvellous, you can go and have a bit of peace and quiet. 
But actually, these were both working parents whose view was the last thing in the world we want to be is separated from our children on a, when we go out to, 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 to church. We, we want to worship together. You know, it seemed like a very odd thing, something we take for granted. It's again, it's about culture. You know, they, you know I go to work, we, they're with a childminder. I want to be with my children on Sunday. So that was our big thing that we said, we just all age every week. Um, and we did attract some people, um, you know, attractional people who perhaps were going to church out of the village, heard about parish praise and uh, uh, came along. And I just found myself saying constantly, because of what we'd learned at, uh, at uh, the Lantern, if you're coming because you think this is a really good church and it's for you, please don't stay. Go to another church which can meet all your needs because um, this is about trying to reach people who haven't yet been, been reached in any shape or form. Uh, if you want to come and serve and give yourself to this, great, you're welcome. But uh, there won't be any Sunday school. Uh, you know, the singing will be rubbish because we don't have the professional thing. It, you know, lots of this is going to be rubbish, but it's, it's not for people who are looking for a good church. And that was great because it saw a few off and uh, others that came knew what the deal was. And we grew from nothing to about 70 adults and 30 kids in four years, which was great. And we resourced the toddler group in the village from it. We resourced, um, we had small groups, discipleship going. Um, we saw, yeah, it was, it was really quite exciting times, really. Um, people coming to faith and uh, serving in the community in mission, simple ways. The luncheon club for the elderly was set up. Uh, a visiting scheme was set up. It was very village stuff, uh, not sexy city centre stuff. But there was something of the mission of God flowing out from the people of God who'd found something in Christ uh, which had captured their hearts. So that was that. It was from there, and then we did some other stuff, uh, community cafe and various other things, and I could witter on all afternoon, but that's uh, uh, probably enough about that. And it was from that context in 2010 um, that uh, I was invited to um, be on the interview panel, actually, for the job for the diocesan missioner, uh, which was kind of funny because I ended up getting the job. But anyway, I was on the interview panel, and we interviewed some candidates, and there wasn't a suitable candidate found. And then the bishop said, why didn't you apply for this job? And I said, it's because I like being a vicar. <laughs> I don't want to be an advisor in anything. Um, and then after some serious arm twisting, I submitted. One of the things that I inherited uh, uh, when I moved into Exeter as diocesan missioner was a project that you might have heard of called Night Church. Have any of you had heard of Night Church? There's a gorgeous glossy booklet here all about Night Church, and it's got lots of pages. I can't think how many, about 20, about its values and its vision and all sorts of other lovely things. Night Church was uh, started uh, at Exeter Cathedral as a fresh expression of church um, about, must be six years ago now. Uh, the vision was to be, as the mnemonic spells out, an inclusive church with Christ at the centre, generous in hospitality, creative in spirituality, and passionate about justice. And I was so excited. I looked at the website. I was told on my brief that I'm going to be the canon missioner at the cathedral as well as working across the diocese. We'd like you to become the pastor to Night Church. So I, I, I read the website, and I was really excited. I thought, I'm going to be the pastor of this really cool, fresh expression of church. Yes. Bring it on. And uh, just, I was telling everybody, I was, going, I was walking around saying, I'm going to be, a night church is going to be mine. When I arrived, I was absolutely flabbergasted. Uh, it's the only word to, and this is the bit where you may want to edit the 
edit the, um, the, the tape. Um, this beautiful brochure, there were fabulous banners in the cathedral. The website um, spoke of something that in reality uh, wasn't happening at all. And I was so curious. So I arrived on the first Friday. It was Friday nights in Exeter Cathedral. Um, the banners go out at the front uh, and the lights are low and some ambient music is put on and uh, people come in through the doors and they do, not in big number, uh, mostly uh, tourists uh, having a look round. Uh, and there were a few homeless people who came and uh, would have coffee and tea in the cafe area that was set up and people would kindly talk to them. And then at about 10 o'clock, half past 10, uh, the shop was shut. And uh, that was what I inherited. And I was really curious. because I, So I took um, one of the leadership uh, team, someone who'd, who'd been with it from the very beginning, out for a coffee. And I took the little booklet with me. And I sat down and I said to Laura, who is fabulous, by the way, um, Laura, what's the story? I said what I read about on the website and, uh, and, and what this little booklet's all about, DNA, and oh, you, it's amazing. Um, what's happened six years on? What, what's going on? And she pushed the booklet back across the coffee table to me and said, we had that bloody thing before we'd had our first meeting. Excuse my French. But isn't that interesting? And what transpired was that this was somebody's really good idea, two people's really good idea. Let's have a fresh expression of church in the cathedral. And then to make the decision in advance of what it was going to look like, put out all the marketing, uh, build the website, decide on the vision and values. It's quite interesting. We believe this, we believe this, we believe this, this is what we are about. When there wasn't any we yet... And then we sit tight and hope that people will come along. Just another model of gathering church, really. Um, so then I had to think to myself, my goodness me, I'd looked at the budget sheets and I'd looked at all the various and thought, you know, I've inherited this thing. How can we, what can we do with it? Um, and so then I started talking to um, some of the people who were involved in Night Church. You might later read that later because it is quite, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of work. And... Uh, the 15 or so people who were all leaders, um, each, I took them all out individually to talk through the story, really. Um, there were people there who believed the night church should be serving the poor, that God sent us homeless people for coffee and tea, and that's what our priority should be. And that's a very commendable thing for a church to do. I'm not wanting to undermine this. Other Another person that I, I went out for coffee with said, well, it's a church. It should be about worship. We should be an alternative expression of worship. We should be exploring worship. Well, it's fabulous space. And you can't deny a cathedral is fabulous space. People will come. It's an amazing place to encounter God. This is a place where we should be helping people uh, to, to look up to God and uh, to discover Christian worship in a new and creative way. So that's another person. So we've got, we're serving the poor. We're serving worship. Um, we had another a person who I spent some time with who said, it's such an amazing building. We just need to get out of the way. God will use that space. We just need to open the doors, welcome people in. It's shocking that the cathedral has to charge during the day for tourists. This can be the one opportunity for people to come in for free. And all we need to do is stand on the door. So that was someone else saying it. this was just about 
space and visitors and any more structures not necessary. Um, we had others saying, I had hoped when I got involved with this, and I read, read the booklet, uh, that this could be a place of community, Friday nights instead of being on Sundays, that I could be really real with people and uh, I could uh, um, yeah, be part of a community. Um, what had also happened at Night Church was that a number of um, organisations had requested the, of the cathedral that they might use the Night Church slot on a Friday night uh, to, to raise money for various very worthy projects. And so there'd been this story in Night Church's history of um, intermittent, maybe twice a year, three times a year, of some, uh, an organisation like Christian Aid or uh, another organisation coming into the cathedral and taking over the night church space to raise money. And there were people on the team who worked for those kind of organisations saying, this is great, you know, three times a year we can use this space, we raise several thousand pounds for charity, which is really great. I also was getting emails regularly from people saying, what is night church? I'm intrigued, I've seen the website, it sounds really great. <laughs> and it just felt like there were a whole bunch of conflicting agendas and different people all pulling in different directions about what they thought this thing called night church should be. And that's what I inherited. And uh, that's what I had a conversation with Johnny Baker with at the... Um, and I came up to see Mike Moyner, who I've worked with in a kind of mentoring capacity. He's mentored me, not me, him, uh, for uh, many years since I've been at St. John's. And just trying to get my head around, you know what the Holy Spirit might be prompting us to do. I inherited things. I also had a... This is where you definitely tell us today. I also had a bishop who wanted a success story. You know, he enjoyed going to Synod and people saying, Oh, Bishop, I like church. It's very good. And him going, It's very good, very good, you know. Um, so I had a bishop who wanted a success story and so was saying to me, Anna, you've got to turn it around. So, yeah, it's been a really interesting um, experience. It's felt a little bit like, at times, being that sheep. <laughs> uh, I know where it's, come, where, 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 where it's come from. I'm not sure where it's going. I'm feeling a bit stranded in the middle. And I took um, uh, lots of advice um, and felt after a year... I went, we went every Friday for a year, committedly, and tried to get to know the core team really well and prayed our socks off. It felt like the only uh, solution was to try and redeem the remnants, as it were, uh, because there'd been a lot of investment. There'd been quite a lot of financial investment, I have to say, in this. Grants had been given. Uh, and the conclusion that we came to was the best thing to do would be to divide out those tensions. And so, uh, obviously, the cathedral is an amazing place and a wonderful venue to host uh, an alternative form of worship in some shape or form. So we didn't want to lose, and part of being church is being a worshipping community, so we didn't want to lose the worship. So that was one of the tensions we wanted to, to identify and divide out. Um, social action, mission, engaging uh, with uh, the task of, of, of being God's um, agents for mission in, in, in the place where God's put us seem to be, to be part of being church. And, and the fact that God had sent us some homeless and vulnerably housed people um, seemed to be a, a very clear signpost. So that was another tension that I felt we needed to just divide out 
as part of the stories, and the importance of a church about building relationships. I mean, this is basic um, stuff, isn't it? You know, up to God, out to the world, into each other. That's church. And of something bigger. You know, we, we are of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And so, uh, and we're meeting the cathedral, for goodness sake. You know, it felt like we were part of a much bigger story. And that was an important part of wherever we went to in the future. So, uh, we, we've started to pray and reflect around this idea of different ways into a community of communities. Okay, so that was what we were, and thinking about little Morph, I don't know, you're probably all too young. Morph, the telly, you know, little chap who changed shape. And I kept thinking, well, this is what Night Church needs to do. It needs to change shape. It needs to stay the same in its substance because there were some really good things about the vision. There's some great stuff in here. I wish I could design booklets like that. Um, and so what we did... Uh, was we went back to the mother, which is the cathedral, and uh, I found myself uh, sitting on the cathedral's vision uh, flag for a while. This is something which uh, the... uh, The other thing was it it lived entirely separate to the cathedral community. It didn't want to have anything to do with it. So people on the cathedral leadership were talking about them, the night church people, and the night church people were talking about them being the cathedral people. It's really odd... We're all Christians together. Anyway, this is the cathedral's vision flag, and it's, uh, the vision is that it's a, a place where the spirit meets the senses and the sacred meets the secular, and it reaches out to all. And so this was what I... I went back to the cathedral, like, chapter, people in charge, and said, um, I think we need to embrace what was night church, and this needs to become something that we, you know, that we bless and that we have a conversation with and that we want to be friendly with and we're not just sort of treating them like tenants who move in on a Friday night and then clear off again. We need to, to be much more concerned for the wider church and the blessing that this could be to, to people that are currently, out, going to, let's be honest, out of reach morning Eucharist with all the lovely singing. This, this is about something else, but you need to own it and you need to, to love it. So that was the first thing which um, got a resounding yes. Uh, And then we started to think uh, through what might come out of what was night church on a Friday night. So, um, oh, let's go back. Um, So we started with um, holy ground, Uh, mainly making the word making sense of the space. Uh, And so once a month on a Sunday evening, second, that says second tunes, there's an interesting bit of typing, um... On the second Sunday of the month, between 7 and 9, we host um, a gathering, because that isn't the church. It's a gathering uh, called Holy Ground, and you can all have a little postcard to put in your Bibles and take away with you. You do take one and pass them on. Um, The point of Holy Ground is that cathedrals do attract uh, people all the time. Uh, into that space. People relate to a cathedral in a way that they just don't re- relate to a parish church or a church building. It's, some, it's, it's a, because they, they, they belong in the centre of the city and they mean something to lots of people and they feel strangely safer than a parish church. I think you can go into a cathedral and you can hide behind a pillar and no one's going to ask you to sign up on the coffee rotor or ask you whether you're new. Uh, and so we wanted to make the most of that. And so uh, Holy Ground was, was born. Uh, and uh, the format for the evening is we gather in the nave of the cathedral at about 7 o'clock. And we have a very short act of worship, uh, leaning mostly on the sort of Catholic contemplative tradition. Uh, the use of symbol uh, and uh, reflective, lots of quiet, lots of space. Because that's what the, the culture of the cathedral lends itself 
uh, most to. Uh, and the idea is that, that after 45 minutes, one of the mistakes of night church was, of course, you'd turn up through the door. If you were someone who'd come in to say, I've come to night church, there was nothing to go to. There wasn't an obvious start. So people would come, walk around, and then walk out the exit thinking, I'm sure what that was. Uh, so it gives people an opportunity to gather and to be centred. And then, then we go a bit modular, so folk can, go, can journey to the chapter house, which is, done, which is a cafe style where we have a speaker with Q&A, uh, because we felt that this was an opportunity to model some learning that's not the sermon, not being told what to think, but more conversational. And we're leaning a little bit on the sort of the arts, justice, and... Uh, so faith life issues, trying to keep it uh, very much where the secular meets the sacred. Uh, brilliantly, um, during one of our early um, gatherings, uh, the occupiers had moved on to our green. And so we had an evening where we had a conversation about occupation and uh, about what that's all about. And we had somebody who'd been a former um, uh, candidate for a uh, conservative candidate and a Labour candidate getting together in front of the occupiers and the rest of us having a good old beef about and what would, what would Jesus have to say into this situation. So that was just very fortuitous. It, it came our way at the right time. Um, they're still with us, however. <laughs> anyway, that's an aside. Uh, and or, if you don't want to stay in the, in the cafe, there's opportunities to go to one of the chapels where there's contemplative prayer. So someone leading a meditation or a prayer time. Uh, and there's another chapel that's occupied by a healing team who will pray for you personally. Uh, but that's not... A church, that's just a gathering. It's just an opportunity to engage in Christian worship. Um, so, but that makes sense of the worship element of night church that was. On Friday nights, there's a weekly opportunity to serve. Um, in the cathedral, if you know Exeter, there's a whole precinct that runs around. And there's lots of little churches, tiny little churches, that were built um, at some point. Part of the sort of monastic community, I imagine, historically. Um, and St. Petrox uh, is one of those churches. It literally is our sort of opposite the, the front of the cathedral. And about 10 years ago, it was given to the um, St. Petrox homeless charity and has been converted into a, a, a quite a, a good drop-in. Uh, and it's run by volunteers, and it's open in the mornings only because they haven't got the resources for it to run any other time. So I went over to see them, and I said, look, we've got some folk who've got a real heart for the poor. Um, would you trust us to have the keys and to run, a, run an evening soup cafe type thing over here? And they said, yeah, that's fine. So a group, the group of people within the night church community who are passionate about the poor, we just moved house over every Friday night. And what was lovely about that move was we could throw ourselves heart and soul into, this is what we're for. We're not worrying about the fact that, you know, there's something that we're having to care for a beautiful medieval cathedral and that someone might nick the candlesticks and, and, and. And there are other people who aren't really into this. This is what we do. And we get from the six or seven homeless people that we used to get in the cathedral on a Friday night, we now get 30 plus. The place is buzzing. The, um, uh, we see our primary role is to build relationship, provide companionship. Uh, we play board games, cards, uh, and we build relationship. We just chat to these guys. And the only rule is that you know my name and I know your name. And, you know, that's uh, the starting point for any, any friendship. And... It's flourishing, and what's been really interesting is most of our team at St. Petrox on a Friday night cafe are now drawn from people who've turned up at Holy Ground without a church background who are saying, oh, I'll come and help with that. Sounds interesting. So we're kind of, people are plugging into this idea of mission and actually being Christian before maybe they are Christian. I, I don't know where they are on the journey, but it's 
they're turning up and that's been great. Um, so that's for every Friday. Um, we have a group of people who are very contemplative in their spirituality, some that come from um, more Buddhist backgrounds uh, and from other uh, contemplative traditions. And they've formed a, a little group that meet on the first Wednesday of every month in one of these other tiny little chapels. They're all situated around the, in the, within a sort of six, seven hundred meter radius of each other. Um, and they meet in St. Pancras on the first Wednesday. Uh, an after work slot, 5.30 uh, till 6.30 for an hour's um, silence and guided meditative thoughts. Um, I haven't got particularly involved with it, but my colleague has, who's, uh, who's leading, that, leading on that. And again, we're getting people dropping in after work, you know, working in Marks and Spencers or wherever. And we get 10 or 15 people, again, three or four from the core team, others who've come in after work and have found their way over to Holy Ground and uh, are making friends with us through that route. Um, we've got, uh, for those who used to, were looking for community, for that was their, their concern, we have a conversation group that meets every Monday night uh, at the White Hart Pub, which again is within the, the precinct area. We've tried to keep it all within about six, seven hundred yards of each other so that there is that kind of, we do have space, but it's just kind of all dotted about. And uh, they run it a bit like a book club. Uh, so read a bit, talk about it, and build relationship. And again, we're signposting. People are flowing backwards and forwards. There have been people who are in the conversation group who then come to Holy Ground as the gathering, and, um, but their main place of belonging and community. And we've got another pub group about to be born out of that one because that's got to about 15 now, and it's just not quite so easy to have a conversation. We reckon 8 to 10 is the best size for a pub group. So we're busy checking out other bars at the moment as to where else we can go to. I think we're now at about 30 to 35 people who would say that the community of communities of which Holy Ground is the gathering, uh, once a month gathering, and they are with others in other places, um, and don't go to church anywhere else. This is what church means to them. Where we're going, I don't know. We've been running a year. Um, God seems to be doing something among us. Um, with my missioner's hat on, I'm saying, well, the hallmarks of church are all here. Not everybody's accessing all of it throughout the month. We've got um, a few that come to Holy Ground and go to a pub group and serve at the CAF. Uh, we have others who just go to the meditation group and come to Holy Ground. We've got some that come to the meditation group and the conversation group and don't go anywhere near Holy Ground. We've got people who help with the cafe and uh, go to the meditation group but don't go to Holy Ground. But we're trying to sort of keep the conversation going that we are one. Uh, but this is all uh, just sort of like a dynamic experience of church and you can access it at any point. Um, it was something that Rowan Williams said, and I'm going to come into land and then we can ask some questions. Um, at the, I don't know how many of you were at the Fresh Expressions gig that happened here in May. Over, yeah, it's Oxford, you're all there. And he said this thing about cell, celebration and festival as being something he sees coming at us culturally. Uh, that this idea that Sunday morning every, or Sunday evening every week to an act of worship is the primary way of being church. Uh, and he suggested that that's something that is fragmenting 
in our culture and that the church needs to be ready to respond to that. We do now say that once a month is regular, which was we never used to, it used to be weekly. Uh, and I guess for me, there's something going on here uh, that works to that. So the cell are the, is the small groups, the pub groups, the cafe, the meditation group, and whatever else maybe comes out of it. I, I think we're open to all sorts of ideas. Um, the celebration uh, is holy ground. That's where we gather and we have some input and we form. And we usually we are Eucharistic. We do break bread and drink wine together at Holy Ground, unashamedly, actually. Um, we just make it very easy to opt out if you don't feel you want to, uh, to, to take communion. That's okay, you know. But we, but we feel it's the, kind of it's the, it's the non-negotiable sacrament, you know. <laughs> so that's, we, we, we do, do you, the Eucharist. Um, and the festival, well, we're kind of thinking, well, maybe we need to all go off to um, a bigger thing again together. Um, some of our membership would err uh, towards the sort of Greenbelt type festival, others towards other festivals, Momentum or uh, Soul Survivor, or, well, probably a bit old for that now, but, you know, New Wine or whatever. Um, and that's yet to be decided upon, but I think that's the sort of shape that I think we're heading towards. Um, so, yeah, that's our story. That's uh, where we're up to. So you might want to grill me about that. Do you want to stop there and open up some questions? <laughs>